This episode of The Winding Stairs is brought to you in part by FreemasonryArt.com. Through the telescopic sight of his coveted Whitworth sniper rifle, Confederate Corporal Thomas Black Wadey Jr. immediately recognized the galloping target coming down the little wagon road through the thick woods. His heart pounded. He blinked several times and tried to clear the sweat that had dripped into his eyes. It's actually him. The 20-year-old Cherokee rebel thought. Union Major General James Birdseye McPherson was finally within his deadly grasp. This is The Winding Stairs, Episode 16. You have arrived at The Winding Stairs, a program dedicated to Masonic education and the art of self-improvement. I am your host, Juan Sepulveda, a professional artist and master mason, 32nd degree of the ancient and accepted Scottish Rite in Freemasonry. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Winding Stairs. As always, thank you very much for taking the time to join me in this journey up the winding stairs. Today we have a special program. We have an interview with a brother who is an author, an illustrator, and a business owner, among many other things. Uh, The conversation was very interesting to get a chance to actually listen to another creative artist that works in a different medium, but also draws inspiration from the stories of Freemasonry, our rich past, and our promising future. So I encourage you to stick around and listen to the program in its entirety so you can enjoy this interview with me. There's a few things that I want to cover before we jump right into the interview. First, I wanted to start by congratulating Brother Mark Rossignol and Ralph Brunson. These two brothers participated in the question that I had uh, put on my website as a result of the interview that I had on Whence Came You podcast. If you haven't listened to that yet, I invite you to check it out. It's on episode 133. Uh, Brother Robert Johnson interviewed me. We had a very nice conversation about my beginnings in Freemasonry. And I asked brothers to participate by answering a question on thewindingstairs.com forward slash WCY. If you haven't done so, go check that out as well so you can see the responses that we got from the brothers. They're very enlightening. So um, these two brothers that I congratulated earlier will be receiving a package personally from me, including some very nice treats. So keep your keep your eyes open and your ears fully aware And towards the end of my interview with brother Mike you will hear a similar thing. He was very, very nice to offer some nice treats for our listeners. So stick around for the rest of the interview, and I hope that you get incredible benefit out of it. Also, I have been involved in a new project that has been uh, very well accepted by the brothers, and it's called the Masonic Roundtable. It's a group of five brothers from around the country who get together and discuss several Uh, Masonic topics. We record live on Tuesday evenings, usually around 10 p.m. Eastern Time, Um, and I invite you to check it out. It is comprised of 
yours truly, Brother Robert Johnson, John Rourke, Jason Richards, and Nick Johnson. So I invite you to check it out. And the topics are very current. Things that are happening in the fraternity right now are various opinions about it. Uh, solutions on how to deal with some of the difficulties that our fraternity might be facing. So check it out. Uh, if you go to YouTube and search for The Masonic Roundtable, you can find our channel there. Also, we are on Twitter, at Mason Roundtable. So I invite you to check that out. Now let's jump right into the interview with Brother Michael Karpovaj. Today we have the honor of having Brother Michael Karpovaj. He is the owner of Karpovaj Creative, LLC, a publishing and design firm based out of Roswell, Georgia. He is an accomplished and award-winning designer, novelist, and a master mason. Brother Michael, welcome to The Winding Stairs. Hello, Juan. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you very much for taking time out of your busy schedule to, to speak with me. Absolutely. I, no problem at all. I, I definitely, I have to say the first time that I learned about your work was because of your latest book. I found an image online about a map of thieves and... I'm sure you're familiar with the expression, don't judge a, bu a book by its cover. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but I broke that. I thought this book has to be really good. I, <laughs> I, start, I started digging into that as soon as I saw it. Uh, so, brother, can you tell us a little bit about your background as an artist? Recently, we have been talking in the winding stairs about art and its role on Freemasonry. So I'm curious to to hear a little bit of what got you in the artistic or literary track of art. Uh, sure. I I, um, I loved art as um, as a, in my youth and I was always drawing and painting, doing designs, that type of thing. And in high school, you know, you have to make your decision on where you what, what kind of career you want to um, take on, and, and I had two choices. I was going to either pursue my talent, because I was very good at it in high school, um, or my other one was I had an interest in joining the military, joining the Army. So my father, you know, gave me some advice, and he said, if you have a talent, follow it first. And so ultimately, um, I went to Ruch the Rochester Institute of Technology, and I majored in graphic design, illustration, And um, from graduating from there, I uh, got into the advertising agency field as a graphic designer. We uh, started working in uh, corporations and marketing departments, and also recently in, in academia as a designer, art director. You know, you wear many hats. So it was a 20-year career, over, over 20 years in the field, you know, wearing many different hats, also doing freelancing work at the at the same time, focusing on map illustration work. That's one of my my loves in the field. Yes. And then also I've been an avid reader as well all my life. And so just as a as a creative person, you know, I always had in the back of my mind, you know, someday I'd like to, to write a book, like, you know, a book that I love to read. And that, that sort of planted the seed back when I was in my 30s, and my first book came out 
was uh, Flashpoint Quebec, which is a military thriller, sort of in the genre of Tom Clancy. And I believe I wrote that in uh, you know, my late 30s. came out in um, 2003. So that was my first, my first stab at it in the, in the publishing field. From there, uh, you know, I sort of realized that I wanted to branch out to more of a mainstream genre. So I got into uh, mystery thrillers, sort of action adventure with military history thrown in. And that's where I sort of shifted, um, shifted gears. And that's when I wrote my, my first novel in the Tanunda Mystery series. And that was called Crown of Serpents. That came out in 2009. And before that, I had become a Mason in 2005, and when I became a Mason, I was writing that first book, and I started delving into Masonic history, in particular, military history with the Masons, mm-hmm. and once I learned some different things with Masons on the battlefield, boy, the plot really, really took off in Clown of Serpents, and that sort of established my main character, uh, Jake Tananda, a Native American who is a, uh, also a Freemason military historian. So that's how the book started. That's how the, the main character started. And now it's crossed over into a standalone sequel called Map of Thieves, which delves into another type of treasure hunt with Jake Sinanda. Uh, sat down here in, in, this, in the deep south of Georgia. That's that's one thing that I, I wanted to ask you about that interest in history and the interest in the military history and how that played a part in in writing. Because I can see even from the very first book, the uh, Flashpoint Quebec, there is a military theme through it all. Um uh-huh. Based on that, do you personally or any relatives of yours have a background in the military? I did, I did not. I chose not to go that route. However, I always was a military history enthusiast. I support our military. I know the sacrifices they've made for our country. Most and so, so, so I have, I've had a lifetime interest in the military, and I thought, what a, what a great way to express my support and the the positive aspects that our military brings to our country by putting it into a fiction novel that people can enjoy where I'm educating them about military history, Mm -hmm. but also also entertaining them at the same time. In my case, I realized I was really seeking adventure in in my life. Uh, In my late late 20s, my early 30s, I was really seeking that a sense of adventure. I wanted to be doing something out there for the community, uh, for my country. And so as my path, my path took me to become a volunteer firefighter. So here I was on the front lines of my community serving my neighbors. And let me tell you, I got all the adventure and action that anyone can ask for. It was, um, it was incredible at the same time. It was dangerous. You're risking your life, but then it was also sad too because because you know you're the first responder when someone's having a heart attack or mm-hmm. um, or a crime takes place or a car accident you know that's just brutal and you see such brutal things out there that the general public you don't you don't see all this stuff that happens every day in the news mm-hmm. you just see the sensational stuff that right. every day someone is dying and 
So, so that that actually gave me life experience where I could put some of those emotions, some of those experiences into my books. I want to go back to to the original career as you started studying art and becoming more involved in the in the art world. I can see that through a lot of your design, there is a common thread of symbolism. I can see the after you become a mason uh, in some of the novels, the covers of the novels, I can see some symbolism related to Freemasonry, but other symbolism that's re related to Native Americans and uh, our history, the history of our country. How how organic was that process of incorporating that language of symbolism into your particular style? That was deliberate. That was on purpose. That, um, For instance, in the, in the couple of books, I tried to take out I use the symbols as part, parts that are taken out from the story itself. So in Map of Thieves, on the cover, you have Cherokee Indian symbols, um, the more or less wayfinding symbols that lead to a treasure. Uh, so that definitely directly relates to the storyline. Uh, same thing with the, the raven, the, the silhouette of the raven on the cover. Mm -hmm. uh, it's subtle. But then all of a sudden you see it and it's like, wow, it's right in your face. Mm -hmm. um, that refers to a Cherokee evil witch called a Raven Mocker that will steal your life by tearing out your heart and adding it to its own years to become immortal. So those are all deliberate parts of the story. Same thing with um, the first book, Crown of Serpents. A couple different symbols on there uh, relate back to Native American lore. Of course, I also have the Freemason symbol on both books. Um, to so that would be so Freemasons would immediately recognize. Okay, this book has some aspect of Masonry involved in it, especially the main character being a Mason, and of course myself being a Mason as an author. So those are all that was that was deliberate deliberate intentions to put the symbolism in there. As far as graphic design style goes. That's just something developed over a career. You have certain preferences for style and illustration, font usage, um, you know, drop shadow type work, color schemes. So over a period of time, your style sort of emerges, mm -hmm. and that is a reflection of okay, this is this is a carpavage style, if you will. Yes. And every artist, every artist has their own particular style that just develops over a period of time. Mm-hmm. Most most definitely, uh, I could I could see the influence, even the evolution. If I if when I look at some of your portfolio images, I can see how the evolution of the of the work still has that thread that looks like you, because it, it, the work that I've seen from you is very unique. It's it's like you said, it's it's a carpovage. It looks just like the 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 style that you have, and. The part of the reason I ask you is because we have brothers out there that have their own unique talents. They are either musicians and or they're writers or they're graphic artists. And you will know that oftentimes when an artist begins an artist begins in his career, he his work resembles a lot of the people that he admires. A lot of the artists that he that influenced uh, him or her. Exactly. So, That's exactly, exactly. Yeah. Who I was just gonna, I was just going to say that um, 
that's how I started out too. You you emulate the your peers when you're starting out. So you 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 reference what's working out there in the field uh, that's successful, and then what you are personally drawn to, what you're attracted to, and that's what I did too. I had a number of artists, illustrators, designers. You know, I just I would have this library of all this great work, this reference material. And then as I was doing my designs for different clients, I would incorporate some of what they were doing into my artwork. So, okay. so, and then eventually over time, you sort of you have your own distinct uh, style, your own uniqueness. That's, that's very interesting. Now, I'm very curious as to, you, you mentioned that you became a Mason in 2005, am I right? Mm-hmm, yes. When you became a Freemason and started becoming acquainted with the lessons of our fraternity and the and the story lines that are part of our, our fraternity, how soon thereafter did you feel the interest in incorporating what you were learning into your artistic work or your literary work? Uh, that was immediate. I actually started writing or researching uh, Crown of Serpents in 2004, okay? I became a Mason in 2005. And then I learned about, you know, one of the tenets of Freemasonry is uh, helping out a brother who is in need. And this brother might be your enemy, but as long as you find him worthy, that you have an obligation to protect him or save his life or somehow help him out or his family, okay? And that's what the universality of Masonry is all about. So I, and I also recognize that Masonry is an educational institution, and I wanted to find out more about its history. So I started digging into the history of Masonry, and it just so happens I came across this military expedition in upstate New York during the Revolutionary War, where an American scout who happened to be a Mason was captured by the a British colonel who happened to be a Mason, and that colonel's ally was an Iroquois Indian chief named Joseph Brandt, who happened to be the very first Native American to become a Freemason. That's and what transpired, yeah, and, and what transpired on, in this battlefield incident was this American guy that was captured. He, was, he, was, he gave the hell sign of distress to that Native American, Joseph Brandt, because Joseph Brandt had saved other Masons in similar situations on the battlefield. And Joseph Brandt put his enemy under protection. Well, it turns out Joseph Brandt disappeared for several hours. And that British colonel, who was also Mason, ended up giving that American scout to the ferocious Indians. And they tortured this American scout for hours and ended up killing him. And so there was a question of, was there a Masonic betrayal? There was a question of loyalty. Like, does that British colonel who's a Mason, did his loyalty come first to King George himself and bypass the loyalty of the fraternity? Um, so back to the main point is once I learned about Masonic history, I deliberately was like, okay, I've got an amazing story here that's, that's sort of hidden in history, and I've got to bring that to light, and I've got to put that in my book not only from the military history standpoint, but then from this incredible example of masonry on the battlefield too. 
That is so awesome. That is so. And of course, that yeah, then that that carried that sort of strategic thinking carried over into my next novel, Map of Thieves, where again I've come across these Masonic battlefield stories as well. Well, talk about a source of inspiration. You're able to marry two other things that you feel passionate about, and you're able to give a narrative that combines the two. I mean, that's I find that to be, you know, a perfect storm for for an artist. So you're able to draw inspiration and then share with as many people as possible, which it's you know part of your career now. That's that's just fascinating. Yeah, it, yeah. I'm glad you touched on that. I mean, it it, it truly is a labor of love. It's like it, I'll, I'm I'm trying to combine my interests into something that I can produce create creatively, then I can share with the general public. Um, and, and then this latest book, Map of Thieves, I just took it one step further because I love maps. I love making maps. I love uh, the rare maps um, out there in the world, um, the map collections. So I created the, uh, you know, an ancient map, a Spanish mining map of gold that dates back to the 1540s in Hernando de Soto, the Spanish explorer, coming right here in the state of Georgia and confronting the Cherokee Indians looking for gold. So as a map maker and a map lover, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to create this treasure map, if you will. Um, it's, a, it's a fun thing to do, but also truly based on history as well. Today's episode of The Winding Stairs is brought to you by MasonicFundraiser.com. MasonicFundraiser.com is a program designed to help lodges, appendant bodies, and even brothers in need with an opportunity to raise funds to support their goals. It's easy to implement, it requires no investment up front, and it's very simple to use. Basically, any of the products available through freemasonryart.com result in a donation towards your Masonic initiative. Simply by setting up a promotional code that lets us know that it belongs to your Masonic Fundraiser initiative. So, if you want to learn more about this, visit MasonicFundraiser.com and get started today raising additional funds to meet the goals of your lodge or organization. Now, continuing our our conversation about Map of Thieves, in I've I got an an advanced copy of the of the book and I began reading and even the opening scene where you have a, uh, a military sniper with someone important in the crosshairs, the way that you're painting the scene and describing everything that's happening, it made me feel like I was part of that moment. And can you tell us a little bit more about, some of the characters that that form part of the of the map of thieves, because I understand that you use some references to real life events and real life places and some real life characters. Can you please tell us a little bit more about how you incorporated that into the book? Uh, right, the opening scene uh, takes you back to 1864 in the Battle of Atlanta, and where a Union general was shot in the back by the Confederates. Um, so that Union general was a real person, a real historical figure. And everyone in that opening scene, that reenactment, were real individuals. 
except for that sniper. He he was he's my fictitious character, and and but he's a he's a descendant of a true character named Tommy Wati, who was the brother of General Stan Wati of the Confederate Army. So without without complicating the audience today, um, that whole entire opening scene was reenacted based on historical records of witnesses who were there, uh, you know, in that incident, in that shooting, where once the general was shot down, those, those um, Confederate soldiers, they rifled his personal possessions on the battlefield, thinking he was dead at the moment. So they, they, they stole certain, certain items. And so there was accounts of this in history. There was records of this. There were stories that were published. There was journals. There was reports from the battlefield participants. So based on all those cross-referencing materials, I tried as best as I could to accurately portray that scene and then, and then the emotions involved, too. And I do that with a number of characters, a number of incidents throughout the story. Um, so after that scene, you go to Chapter 1, and it jumps to the present day. And the rest of the book is a present-day novel uh, based on finding certain artifacts that lead to this secret Cherokee treasure. Um, there's, there's real uh, scenes in Savannah, Atlanta, you know, the North Georgia mountains, um, and again, based on real, real actors, too. And you mentioned Stan Wattie. Um I understand he was a Freemason, right? Correct, yep. And we have him... I was doing a little research be, before we we started speaking about Stan Wati and his rivalry with John John Ross. Was he also a Mason? Yes, uh, Chief John Chief John Ross was also Mason. So he had these two Masons, and, and these two were like the most important um, figures, famous figures in Cherokee Nation history. Um, they were both Freemasons, but they were also lifelong rivals. They hated each other. They hated each other so much, there was, uh, it made the Hatfields and McCoys look like child's play. There was over 40 murders attributed to each, each, uh, each side of this rivalry. And it was an internal civil war that had been going on, you know, since the early 1800s, well into the American Civil War, where again they took, they took sides against each other. So it's just an incredible historical account of two political rivals um, killing each other's friends and families for this power grab, and they also happen to be Masons as, as well. So I touch on that whole historical aspect in the book, too, and that ties in with the one of the main characters in the present day, who's a 90-year-old World War II veteran who happens to be a descendant of Tommy Wati, who was, his father was murdered by John Ross's henchmen back in the early 1800s. So it's a present-day revenge mission, if you will, uh, in order to find this, this secret treasure that happens to belong to John Ross. So all is intertwined and interwoven um, in a nice plot to get you to, to the final prize. Hmm. I can't wait to finish it. I wish I, I, I wish I would have been done with it by now, but 
I, I look forward to continue reading. I've, I'm enjoying it so far. Brother Karpovaj, uh, one thing that I'm sure the listeners of the program are curious about is how did you find masonry? How did you become a mason? I found masonry through Dan Brown's Da Vinci Code book, and I just love that book. I think I read it in a couple days. And he mentioned masonry, and it just piqued my interest. You know, who, who are these masons? Um, this was back, what, uh, 2004, around then? Yeah, must have been early and, 2000s. Yeah, so it just piqued my interest in masonry, and from there, I did my research. Um, you know, I did online research, read a couple books, and really trying to figure out, uh, as a layperson, what this organization was all about. And it appealed to me, yeah, you know, it really did. And then I saw, of course, the conspiracy, the anti-Masonic sites, and I was like, oh, Christ, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, just, it, they didn't make any logical sense. They're just trying to put together all these different uh, pieces, these puzzle pieces from history, and trying to link them into this grand conspiracy. And it just, I wasn't buying it. And so... I, you know, I made my, my own decisions about to, to pursue it, and what really appealed to me was I found out that when Masons attend Lodge, they are restricted, prohibited, about talking about two different subjects, that is politics and religion, and those are the two most divisive subjects in all of history. They cause the most wars and death and division throughout all of our human existence. Indeed. So that right there appealed to me, that I can get together with brothers, be equal, whether you're poor or rich, and just have that camaraderie uh, with, within a lodge. Um, so that was, you know, that was like the deciding factor for me. From there, I was working at a college at the time, um, small community college in upstate New York, doing design work, and... I happened to notice one of my coworkers, I believe, with the with the Masonic ring on his finger, or maybe it was a Masonic symbol on his license plate. Okay. And so I approached him, and uh, we got talking, and basically ended up joining that local lodge called Halbasco Lodge, number seven one six, out of Ithaca, New York. And that's how I became a Mason in, in two thousand and five. Look at that! And a lot of people think that you have to be asked to become one or that you need to have a relative that's a mason in order to join. And your story is a perfect example of how a man who's upright and has his head on the right place by asking can find out more and eventually join the fraternity. Correct, right. You gotta you gotta take the you gotta take the first steps. You gotta make a connection with with a brother Mason. You gotta seek out your path, if you will. Regarding how Freemasonry, has it had an impact on your personal life? Has it changed you in a way that you think other people would, would notice? I, I think so. You know, I used to be real angry with politics. You know, just, just real angry with, you know, you get into these online debates, um, and they're just, uh, you know, brings out a side of you that you don't like. Mm -hmm. And so I think... Once becoming a Mason, learning certain lessons, learning to be more 
diplomatic or, you know, a gentleman, if you will, um, and so maybe suppressing those emotions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, temperance. Suppressing those, su- suppressing those passions that you have or just, yeah, tempering them. That That's helped me. But, but then again, it's also, as you grow older, you know, you have life experiences and you're maturing in certain areas. So that also coincides, that's a parallel with what I've learned in masonry. So, yeah, I've changed in that regard. I've realized that, you know, that useless debate online, that anger, it just, it's a waste of time. Yeah, it's a that's... complete waste of time and energy. And I, I sort of redirected that uh, into more of my creative passions. Um, excellent. So instead of, instead of spending all that time debating something uselessly, uh, you know, I put it into a creative project. That's excellent. And you can, directing your energy in that way, um, for other brothers out there that have a, a talent, and the talent could be just to be able to engage in conversation or engage in in a friendly debate, channeling that energy into actually doing something productive that can help them. It's certainly better than getting your night ruined by spending too much time on a, <laughs> on a forum arguing with a troll. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and, and that's another aspect of, uh, I think you brought that up. Masonry definitely helped me where, you know, I, I couldn't, I, I was real uncomfortable uh, speaking in front of a crowd, a, a classroom or an audience, and that was always like a lifelong fear of mine. And, and a lot of people have that, that fear. Whereas in a lodge, you know, you're developing your character, you're developing your skills, and your brothers are there to help you. So in a, in a lodge setting, you have your friends around you. You're comfortable, and it's a smaller, you know, sometimes a smaller setting, a smaller audience, where I had the opportunity to talk about subjects that I knew and felt comfortable with, and it allowed me to practice uh, speaking in front of an audience. So through, through those skills, I've really started becoming comfortable, you know, with my with my presentation skills, and I learned from others, if you will. And I, you know, now I can get up in, the, you know, in front of an audience and talk for an hour, um, and I'm, I'm having fun at it, and it's exciting. It's an adrenaline rush. And on top of that, I'm teaching um, you know, other masons and lodges. By putting on these presentations, I'm giving them um, I'm giving something back to the lodge. I'm giving them a program that can bring out the brothers, um, that can bring in the general public, I'm sort of giving back to what I've learned in the lodge through those skills. That's wonderful. I, I really I really enjoy that you say that because oftentimes you have the same individuals in lodge speaking. This sheds light also at the importance of sharing that light, allowing some of the newer members or some of the younger brothers or some of the brothers that have different careers or different lifestyles than than the rest so that they can develop those skills of speaking in a crowd. Especially in the lodge, we meet on the level, and it, it kind of prepares you to look, focus beyond that obstacle of standing in front of a crowd, and then focusing actually on the content of the information being delivered. That allows Correct. a man to grow significantly. Right. That, that's good. Uh, now, one one question. I know that you, in addition to speaking in lodge, you do speak to to different people regarding your your career i've heard some of your interviews online and you do talk to other people 
about your books. Can you give me an idea of places that you have actually spoken about your your career? Recently spoken in front of a class, a high school class of what's called a writer's workshop. So there was 30 students, high school students in this class, and I was brought in as a guest author. And I, and I did a presentation, um, not so much on my career, but it was called The Allure of Finding Treasure. So it was all about that attraction to, you know, the treasure hunt and throughout history and, and, and the reasons why. So, and then, of course, I told them a little bit my, about my background writing um, that was relevant to that class because they were aspiring writers, too. Excellent. So just sort of connecting uh, with younger people because now, you know, now I'm that experienced older person and I'm just, <laughs> you know, I, I, I remember like it's yesterday when I was a, you know, a student in college and I had, and we had a, a guest artist come in and talk to us and that really, really helped me. And I wanted, you know, to do the same thing now that I'm older. That's great. I, I, I admire that. I appreciate that you do that. You know, especially the, this generation that's coming up, they need people to look up to, people that are doing what they envision doing in the future and making a living at it. Especially when we talk about the, the arts, there is all this misconception that artists are starving. And no, it might be a difficult field to go into, but if you do it professionally, you should be able to have a, a comfortable life yeah this is true if, if um you, you, you have to you know what i learned is you have to have the business skills the marketing skills the presentation skills the salesmanship type skills on top of your talent mm -hmm. so it's all about almost it's, it's selling yourself your personality as much as selling your product that you create mm -hmm. because it's you it's you know it's 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 one it's mike it's the whole package, if you will. Most, most definitely. Now, talking about being able to successfully live as an artist, you have made some amazing map illustrations. And recently, I, I came across the map of the historical district. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about this? Is this in, in Savannah? Yes, the, the Savannah Historic District. Yeah, that, I mean, right now, that's my masterpiece. I... Uh, I'm, I do have to say I'm very proud of it, um, and it and it won it won the top prize of a North American map makers competition. Oh, wow. So you're you're talking map makers from you know, Canada, uh, U.S. and Mexico. Congratulations! And, and I was and I beat out like National Geographic map artists. So I was oh. I was very very proud of that. Congratulations! Yeah, that was, That's great. Thank you very much. It's Savannah the. the Savannah Historic District Illustrated Map. You'll find it if you Google it, if you go to Amazon. Um, if you go to my website, carpevagecreative.com, you'll see that it is a, it's a bird's-eye view, three-dimensional map illustration, chock full of all the major attractions in the Historic District, as well as uh, historical text blurbs and little stories and statuettes and sculptures and pictures all combined into what the, the map illustrators were doing in the 19th century. So if you look back at some of those old rare maps, that's what I loved. And I just saw a market. I saw um, a, a niche market that 
in particular in Savannah, basically the competition was this really crappy, cartoony colored pencil map mm-hmm. that has been that has been selling to the public for for years. And it was you know, I saw this this god awful map and I'm like, <laughs> Savannah deserves something better. Yes. And I know that I can do it. I can raise that bar artistically. And so after years of doing commission map designs for clients all across the US and um, you know, Europe where I'm, I'm getting paid as a work for hire, I decided to, to branch out into my first retail product uh, available to the general public. So I spent three years illustrating, designing, writing, researching all about Savannah, and I created this product, this map, launched it in 2012, and the first year I sold 2,000 of them. Oh, wow. And now I'm, on, now I'm on like my second and third year. It's a top seller. It currently holds the rank of uh, the number two seller in the Savannah category on Amazon. Oh, wow. So, and, you know, and the beauty of it is it's going to be out there for years to come. Um, I have to, every, every edition, I'll make a little tweak here or there if a building gets raised and they build a new building or have to update a certain business. But it's a long-term type of product um, that's going to last for years. So, yeah, that's my baby right now. <laughs> that's great. And, and I, I presume that it, it, it's almost like a treasure hunt just to look through the, through the map, right? Yeah, it is. I have I have hidden items in it, so I made it fun for like kids and adults. Uh, for instance, I hid my myself in there, you know, on a particular boat, and you have to find me. I give clues. I have uh, some of my family members hidden there, my dog, and for Masons, I also uh, have hidden uh, Masonic symbols, the square encompasses uh, throughout the map. So if you happen to pull it up, uh, you know, on your computer. And you see the statue of General James Oglethorpe. He's front and center near the legend in the lower right corner of the map. Well, he was the founder of the colony of Georgia. Well, he was a Freemason. Wow. And if you, if you look real closely on his, uh, his breast plate on his shoulder, in Photoshop, I put a little Masonic symbol on there. Now, it's really not on his statue, but as an artist, I can take that creative license. Well, so there's a, little hidden, there's a little hidden Masonic symbol on the statue. And then also the compass rose, if you look in the middle of the compass rose, there's a Masonic symbol there sort of in the shadows. So I had fun at it, you know, it's just a, it's a subtle way of telling the public that, hey, uh, General James Oglethorpe, founder of Georgia, was a Mason. That's excellent. And, and, I, and I, you know, so, so people become aware of, of Masonry in a, in a positive light. That's excellent. I, I'm sure that the brothers are going to check it out. And for everyone's convenience, I'm going to add links to all the different websites. You have websites for, for the maps and for the books and, and all of that. So I'll make sure that they have one place to go. But also, we, Brother Karpovaj had the generosity of offering some really nice treats for the listeners of The Winding Stairs. And he has offered to... For those brothers who visit the thewindingstairs.com slash map of thieves and participate on the question that we will be posting there, uh, we are going to select two people from that list and they're going to receive something really nice over the mail. So thank you, Brother Michael, for, for being so generous with the, the Winding Stairs audience. Oh, that's my pleasure. I think it's a lot of fun to do that. And 
I can't wait to finish reading the book. Uh, I'm really excited about checking out the the hidden treasures on the on the map, brother Karpovaj. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us, and I hope that you that you give us the pleasure of speaking with you again in the future when you have another project. Absolutely, Juan, and thank you very much. I'm honored to uh, have this interview with you. Thank you. Thank you again to Brother Mike Karpovaj for taking the time to join me on this interview. To learn more about uh, Brother Karpovaj's products, to order his latest books, and also to find all the links to his various websites, go to thewindingstairs.com slash map of thieves. That's also where you will be able to answer a question that we have posted for you. And those who contribute in the questions uh, and put their respective answers will come, will be automatically entered to receive one of two prizes that Brother Karpovaj has been generous enough to set aslide for us. So visit thewindingstairs.com slash map of thieves for more information. Also, I wanted to give a special thanks to a few brothers who have made the past couple months extra special. In particular, Worshipful Jerry Clark, Brother Frank Lopez, and Brother Victor Rosario from Winter Garden Lodge number 165 in Winter Garden, Florida. They were very hospitable in my recent visit when I gave a presentation about the power of art in Freemasonry. Thank you, brothers, for making my visit extra special. Also, a special thanks to Worshipful Donald Goldsby from St. Cloud Lodge, number 221 in St. Cloud, Florida. Um, you, you brothers made me feel very, very special uh, on my latest visit. Thank you for, you know, for the kind words and, and the opportunity to share some of my thoughts with the brothers of St. Cloud Lodge. I look forward to visiting all of you again. And finally, I want to thank all the brothers that have contributed to the conversation that happens and the different social media networks that we're involved in. On Twitter, you can find me at WindingStairs33. On Facebook, at Masonic Fundraiser. Uh, primarily, our main hub is TheWindingStairs.com, so I encourage you to visit that. And don't forget, if you like our program, if you like our Brother Robert Johnson's podcast, WCYPodcast.com, um, There's other sources as well of Masonic Light, and I have put together a very convenient book that you can download free by visiting thewindingstairs.com slash free book. There, that guide, all you need to do is put your email and let us know where to send uh, the download link, and you'll get a free copy of this book. It has over 33 different sources of Masonic Light that every new Mason needs to know about. So... Head over to thewindingstairs.com slash free book. Hopefully you enjoyed today's interview with Brother Mike Karpovaj. Hopefully you've also been able to derive some inspiration. Whether you have a, an artistic talent like painting, drawing, writing, uh, if you're a musician, uh, hopefully you can find inspiration in this interview uh, regarding how to think of some of the lessons that are available in Freemasonry to you and how you can become inspired and create something that will inspire others as well. I hope you enjoy the show and that you can join me again next time as we continue our journey up the winding stairs. <laughs> <laughs>